Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Happy Fourth of July. Everybody have a good time? I know we did. Tell you a little story real quick before we get started. Uh, My family started a tradition about, uh, I'd say it was last year actually, because two years ago, (laughs) yeah, Um, here's how it started, all right, two years ago, uh, we were all excited to uh, be here in South Carolina because where we're from, uh, you're not allowed to shoot fireworks anywhere, okay, very different from down here, so when we got here, we were like, oh yeah, we're going to shoot some fireworks. So we went down to the beach where it's pretty much like World War II. There's just bombs going off everywhere in all directions. And uh, we had went to the fireworks store and just got like, I got like little tiny things that don't really do anything. But at the time, I thought they were enormous. I was like, this is going to be awesome because remember, I've never had fireworks before, right? So I got this thing, right? And there's people all up and down the beach and they're waiting for like something cool to happen. And uh, so I'm like, all right, let's light one off. So I put it in the ground. I'm like, all right, everybody stand back. This is going to be amazing. And went right into the water. It was terrible, right? It was so anticlimactic that the next year, we said, all right, we're going big. We're going to get real, like, man fireworks, you know, with, like, cannons that you got to bury in the ground and shoot them off, and they're awesome, okay? So we decided to do that the following year, which we did, and it was amazing. Like, it was the most fun I've ever had probably in my life, like, second only to my kids being born, okay? That's how amazing this was. So from there, we just realized we will never be able to not do this again. Like every year we have to go bigger and bigger and bigger. And yesterday was the biggest show we have ever done. We were the show on the beach, okay? It was amazing. So I had a great time. Yes. Oh, America was proud of us that day. So uh, that being said, um, I got a lot to talk to you about this morning. So uh, I definitely need to pray because I am just all jacked up with nerves and everything. So I got to relax, and then we're going to jump in. Okay, ready? Uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you're here with us now. I pray, Father, that this just be totally 100% about you. I would just make a big deal about you, Jesus. We love you. ask you to be a part of what we're doing. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, Uh, So as I said, we were doing some fireworks stuff, and the man who orchestrated all of it was my father. Uh, That man right there, love him to death, he's great. Um, He makes sure that every single family member, friend, everybody has a place to stay and hang out, and we all come down to the beach and we're spending the week together. Now, I'll tell you this, uh, my relationship with my parents uh, is very strong. We do a lot of things together, okay? And most recently, about three months ago or two months ago, we decided we were going to go on a road trip, okay? And the plan was to go to three different theme parks in three days. Oh, yeah. We go big in my family. We go big, (laughs) all right? So three theme parks, three days, all right? So we load all the kids up, my, my two boys, my parents, my wife, and we jump in the car and we drive down to Florida, okay? We're going to Orlando, 
And uh, we drive first thing in the morning and get there, check into the hotel. So this is day one. This is Friday. I was like, all right, you know what? We're going to do half a day at Universal. I was like, okay. So we go out. We drive all day, go to Universal Studios, go there until it closes, come back home. Saturday, full day at Disney World. So 11 to 11. All right, now that was the epic moment. This was the, this was the time where we were going to be excited because Dougie is two years old, okay? He's two years old. He's not really this tall. Dougie <laughs> is two years old. Thank you. So Dougie's two years old. Now, he won't remember the trip, but uh, he will be old enough now at this point to appreciate what he's seeing, right? He's watched cartoons for time now, so he'll see these characters and get all excited. So for us, this was probably the main part that we were just super excited about. And then Sunday, we went to SeaWorld, okay? So it was Universal, Disney World, SeaWorld, okay? That was the plan. So Saturday comes. We show up, 11 o'clock, with the boys, double stroller, mom and dad, wife, ready to go. And we are just bombing around Disney. We are having a blast. I don't know if anybody's ever been to Disney, but it's kind of insane, It really is. Like, in your mind, you think, yeah, we're going to get to hang out with, like, Mickey and, like, do a bunch of stuff. You guys don't know this about me, but it stressed me out, okay? (laughs) People everywhere. You can never relax. You're just, like, you're moving with your kid. It's like you're on a mission the whole time. I didn't even see anything except the back of my kid's head to make sure nobody was stealing them or, like, Mickey wasn't running off with them somewhere. So it was very stressful for me. But we got through it, okay? Now, the crescendo... The best part of a Disney trip, and what we really wanted Dougie to see, was something called the Light Parade. Anybody here know what the Light Parade is? Ever been to Disney? All right. So if you don't know what it is, it is a parade of lights, okay? And what it is is all the Disney characters get, like, lit up with, like, Christmas lights and stuff, uh, you know, Disney, and you just, like, stand behind ropes, and then they go by. And so this was the big moment, because they shut down the whole park for you to watch this thing, and there's music and the whole thing. So I said, Dougie, this is is it, buddy. Like, we want you to see your favorite characters live and in person, lit up. It's going to be awesome, okay? That was the plan. But then something happened. Now, if you have that picture, you can put it up. Okay. That, my friends, I don't know how he got it, whether it was my mother or my wife, got him a little tiny glow stick thingy. Okay? Now, as you can imagine by this picture, my son was way more interested in the giant glow sticky thing than he was in the main show. Okay? He was missing out on something much better because he was distracted by the smaller, lesser thing. Okay? And so what we had to do is eventually we had to take the little glowy sticky thing away so he could pay attention to the main thing. You guys get where I'm going with this? All right. So... Uh, he wasn't happy about it at first, but then he was like, oh my gosh, that is literally Peter Pan right in front of me. This is amazing. I love you, mom and dad. That's how, that's how I thought he felt in his head. So it was incredible. Now, uh, that being said, I'm going to say this again. He missed out on the main thing because he was distracted by a smaller thing. All right, so keep that in your mind, okay? Uh, so we're going to jump into our scripture. We are in Philippians 3, 1 through 14. Philippians 3, 1 through 14. Okay, and it should be on the screen. Yeah. All right. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to pray one more time because I'm still, like, moving around a lot. So, uh, Jesus, thank you. Uh, Just breathe life on your word this morning. Uh, Just put it down deep in our hearts. Give us each something that we can grab a hold of. And um, 
Lord, we just want to make a big deal about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read it off the screen here. So if you just want to follow along, there's, there's a fair amount of scripture here. So uh, here we go. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. All right, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Very strong language. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But, and this is good stuff, but whatever gains were to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, trash even, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having any righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all these things, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's God's word to us this morning. I could probably just drop the mic right there and just let you deal with that for a little bit. But I got more to say, as you know. So uh, we were talking about a couple of things here. So let's get some context, all right? Uh, Paul's, I mean, uh, Tim's been working through this book of Philippians for the last couple of weeks. So you know that, first of all, where is Paul writing this message from? Prison, correct. Um, How does Paul feel about the Philippian church? He loves them like crazy. He is just banana sandwich over these people, okay? Now, Reason why he's writing the letter, does anybody know? Anybody, was it? There's strain, yeah, there's some strain going on in the church, some possible division, maybe people getting a little bit uh, kind of full of themselves, maybe. We're not sure what quite's going on, um, but there's some issues. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them to stay unified, to keep the main thing the main thing, which as we know is Jesus. Keep it about Jesus. And so as we look through this, um, the first part of that was Paul's resume, right? Paul's telling everybody, hey, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm about. It's his testimony. It's his story of how Jesus came into his life. And so the question I want to ask this morning, how does Paul's testimony or his story encourage us to keep Jesus the main thing? How does Paul's testimony encourage us to keep Jesus the main thing? So let's start in verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, as far as the law, Pharisee, zeal, persecuting the church, legalistic righteousness, I'm on it. So, Paul's resume. Right now he's saying, look guys, uh, I am the Michael Jordan of Jewishness, okay? 
Like you don't bruise. I'm the Hebrewiest. Yeah, Hebrewiest. Now, so he's saying, look, if you want to start using your religious dedication as a benchmark for success, I've been there. I've taken it to the farthest possible degree it can go. That's what Paul's saying. And when he says, when I walk down that road of religious dedication as a way to access God or get God's, um, what's that word? God's happiness towards me, we'll say. When we start getting like that, he says it ends with finger pointing and comparing yourself to others. That's what religion does. Okay, so I want you to hear me on that this morning. Paul's saying, look, all of this, every single bit of this religious stuff, it doesn't end well. And in Paul's case, his religious dedication ended with his greatest failure. The greatest failure of Paul's story is found in his religious activity. When he says in verse 6, as for zeal persecuting the church, we can kind of just run by that and say, yeah, he didn't like the church. But that would probably be the understatement of the year. When Paul says that he persecuted the church, what he means is he imprisoned, beat, and presided over the killing of Christians before he encountered Jesus. He signed off on the murder of Christians. That's what he did. See, because what happened was is when God called Jesus to come in and set up a new way of doing things, when Jesus showed up on the scene and said, look, this system isn't working anymore, you're going to need me now, Paul's sense of security had now been totally shut down. What Paul was driving from, that religious system, was now being threatened. His security was being threatened. So his zeal goes through the roof, okay? He's got to protect this little system that he has that made him feel okay. And so I don't know about anybody here this morning. Who here has ever responded violently or passionately when someone jacked with your sense of security? Anybody? Yeah, I know I have. Um, In fact, I was kind of debating on whether I wanted to tell this story or not, but I'm going to get real with you guys, all right? Very real, very human for a moment. Uh, As you guys, most of you may know, I've shared my story up here before. Um, Part of my story is that when I was young, uh, some chaos came into my world that I was not ready for, okay? Uh, Parents got divorced. I spent some time with with my mom. Uh, That didn't go well. She was kind of doing her own thing, and, and there was a lot of chaos happening, some stuff that wasn't good, okay? And from that, uh, I've kind of developed this, uh, this sense of security that I draw from things being peaceful, okay? I like peace. I like things to be okay. When things get chaotic, I get weird, all right? I'll be honest with you. I get super weird, okay? And so as life stands right now, I'll be honest with you, it's a little chaotic, okay? Uh, I've got uh, this sermon today that I was preparing for. Uh, two weeks from now, I have another sermon uh, that we'll be preaching for you guys. Uh, I'm in charge of Summer Church, okay, which is launching on Thursday, and so I'm kind of leading that whole deal, uh, which will be six weeks starting this Thursday. I've got two beautiful babies at home. Uh, I've got a full-time job. I'm the youth pastor, um, and also I have a beautiful wife to take care of. So the pressure right now is very high, all right? And that being said, it feels a little chaotic. So a few days ago, we're having a party, we're all hanging out, having a good time, and uh, we decide we're going to play a board game, all right? I don't know if anybody's ever played like Monopoly or something like that. See, everybody starts Monopoly with good intentions, okay? And the next thing you know, somebody's flipping over the board and being like, where'd you get all the 50s, Grandma? I don't know, you're cheating. So it happens, 
all right? So in some sense, what happened really could have happened to anybody, but it happened to me, okay? So we're all playing a board game, and just uh, things are going on, and, and people are being people, and it's getting pretty late at night, and uh, some stuff happens, and I just get way too upset. Didn't even have anything to do with the game. Like, I just, I just got passion level, went through the roof. I was yelling, and it was like, it was over in like probably 10 seconds. But the next day, as I was thinking about it, I'm like, what the heck was that? And I realized, it was like, my sense of security is being jacked right now. My sense of what makes me peaceful is not happening right now. And so uh, we can all kind of get like that. I'm sure all of us have a story where our sense of security was messed with and we responded passionately, right? And so by the grace of God, I'm here with you guys this morning, but I definitely need that grace of God. (laughs) So let me ask you this question. Now, we just established that Paul presided over the murder of Christians. How does he go from murderer to the greatest missionary and church planner of all time? How does he get there? Some of you may have that question yourself. How do I get there? How do I go from who I am to being in the family of God? Like, you don't know what I've done. Well, we're going to answer that question. If you're following along and you have notes, you'd probably want to write this down. It's pretty important. All right? Everybody ready? Grace cleans out our garbage. Grace cleans out our garbage. Getting all weepy. Hang on. Grace, things that we really wish weren't part of our story, black marks on our story, uh, that we really wish kind of weren't there. We just want them to be covered over. We want to pretend like they're not there. But what grace does is the effects of that stuff, the garbage, comes in like a rushing wind and sweeps it all out. And some of you here this morning, you need to just hear that. Like if I stopped here, God would already have done something amazing in your heart. But we got more, but I'm just saying, don't miss that. Grace cleans out your garbage. When you come into the family of God, every slate is clean. Every slate is clean. There is nobody here that is better than anybody else. There's nobody here that has a worse story than anybody else because grace comes in and cleans out our garbage. So let's look at verse 7 through 9. But whatever is my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All that stuff, all that religious stuff is a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish or trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, and this is where it gets good, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God by faith. The good news is that our righteousness now comes from Jesus Christ by faith. That's good news. That just like when Paul was trying to earn righteousness by that religious system, by being awesome at being Jewish, wasn't working because it's only as good to you as the work that you put in. Think about that for a moment. Whatever your form of righteousness is, whatever it is that you're doing right now uh, that makes you feel like God approves of you, that's apart from Jesus, it's only as good to you as the work that you put into it. And when you fail, it's not good to you at all because all it does is hold a mirror up to your failure. That's why we need Jesus. 
And so what brings a murderer to missionary? It's the same thing that brings you and I from sinner to saint. It's faith in Jesus. And he's all the righteousness we will ever, ever need. And so Paul says that fact right there, that fact alone is worth throwing out every religious action, every selfish attitude, everything that is not making a big deal about Jesus, it goes in the lost column. That's where it goes. If there's something in your life that is not making a big deal about Jesus and you're drawing on it for something, it goes in the lost column. Paul says it's damage. It's damage to who you are. And so uh, some of you here this morning, uh, you may still be looking at your failures as a reason to limit your relationship with God. Some of you are looking at those black marks on your record as, you know what, Uh, God's not happy with me right now because of what I did last week. So I'm, I'm not feeling it in my faith right now. That, my friends, is a lie. That is a lie. There is nothing on your record, there is nothing that you could ever do that would make God feel any less loved towards you in any possible way because of the righteousness of Christ. So all the righteousness we will ever need is found in Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 12. He says, look, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Good news is Jesus grabbed you before you grabbed him. That's good news. Because if he grabbed you first, he chose you. He picked you. And so if Jesus picks you, Jesus trumps your transgressions. Write that down. That's the second one. Jesus trumps your transgressions. Give you a second to write it down. Paul stresses that he isn't perfect. He's still working on being like Jesus. Okay? But he says, look, Jesus took hold of me. So no matter what we do, no matter where we go, no matter how bad we blow it, Jesus wins. Jesus wins every time. Jesus is the trump card. You say, well, dude, I, you don't understand. Like, like, I did something crazy last night. Jesus wins. You don't understand. I have addiction. I'm, 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 I'm addicted to alcohol. I can't stop, and, and I like it. Jesus wins. You say, but you don't understand. I treat my, my spouse terrible because I'm unhappy in life. Jesus wins. Whatever it is that you've got going on, when you hold it up to Jesus, it immediately explodes into a million pieces because Jesus wins. Don't walk in here on a Sunday and limit your worship time with God because you're worried about what you did last night. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. (laughs) So here's where we get the answer to Paul's question. How does Paul's testimony, how does his story help us keep Jesus the main thing? See, Paul's story may be unique to him as far as what he's experienced, but the message is still the same. The message is a story of God in our lives. I'm going to say that again. The story is about the unprecedented, undeserved, beautifully disproportionate grace of God on our lives in Jesus Christ. So when we hear this story, 
when we hear Paul tell his story and we go, oh my gosh, what grace. Oh my gosh, God is good. I can't believe that. It is supposed to compel us to think about our own story. Where has God come through in your life? Where is the grace of God shown through those black holes in your story where now it's not a black hole anymore, but it's the grace of God? We are compelled out of selfishness and disunity by being reminded of the grace of God in our own lives. When we hear Paul talk about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, we immediately get reminded of how much God has forgiven us. The worth that he's talking about in Christ is the worth that no matter what I ever did in life, no matter how awesome I thought it was or how destructive it was, it doesn't matter. The worth is knowing Christ because in him I have my righteousness. Because of Christ's righteousness, we're free to fail. We're free to fail. Now, this is the part where I got to do a little disclaimer, okay? When I say we're free to fail, uh, there's a difference between being super excited about sinning and failing and you feel bad about it. There's two different things, okay? Both of them, Jesus wins. Hear me on that. Both of them, Jesus wins. He will work on your love of sin, okay? He will. Jesus wins. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's probably my favorite thing to tell my students. Sin is not called sin because it's on God's naughty list. Sin is called sin because it is devastating to ourselves and the people around us. And so the consequences of sin are basically built into the mechanism, okay? You can be into it for a while, but it will eventually jack with you, Some, most of us immediately, okay? And so uh, why do we not keep on sinning? Because it's devastating. But the guilt and the shame and the frustration that comes along with it you hand over to Jesus because he wins. Because in that shame, in that guilt, in that frustration, that's the devil's playground, okay? And so while we pursue righteousness and we pursue uh, good living and we pursue healthy living and healthy relationships, because that's what God wants out of our lives, when we fail, we don't ever give it a place for the devil to play, ever. When you get up in the morning before church on Sunday, when you get up in the work on Monday before work, you look yourself in the mirror and you say, Jesus wins. I want to hear that right now. Everybody say it. Jesus wins. All right. So when you fail and life gets hard and you're like, I cannot believe I just did that, what happens? Thank you. Get that in your head. Get it in your heart. Jesus wins. Don't ever let Jesus, I mean, don't ever let your sin mess with your sense of security. Jesus is your righteousness. So let's look at verse 13. I'm getting all excited. I'm going off track. Here we go. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straighting toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, this is the great part. And if you're going to write this down, this would be it. Faith reframes our failures. Faith reframes our failures. Faith reframes our failures. Paul's story reminds us to look at our own story. And when we see our failures, it's no longer a black mark on our record. But rather, our greatest failures, they get reframed as the greatest moments of God's grace. 
That's why Paul can tell his story with such confidence. Because you say, look, this is where I was. Look what Jesus did. Jesus forgave me. So right now, look back in your own story. Look back to those things that you think maybe are are black marks on your record. And begin to ask Jesus to say, you know what? That's his greatest moment of grace on my life. What does that say about God? What does it say about God that he can forgive that much? Say, yeah, but that's too big. No, it's not. Jesus wins. So here's the deal, guys. Um, I'm actually going to get the band to come up here. It's a shorter message than usual, but come on up, guys. Um, We're going to do a little bit of work this morning. And uh, sometimes when you kind of uh, get into this setting, uh, there can be a potential to feel a little insecure, a little weird um, about being honest. And so... What I'm going to do is I'm going to have everybody kind of close your eyes, bow your heads, uh, and that is only because I want to remove every roadblock, every, everything that could get in the way from responding to Jesus right now, okay? So let's go ahead and do that. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. Dot com.